Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We are glad that you have come to join us here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. Those of you who are here with us in person and all of you who have joined us online, we are grateful for your attending uh, with us this morning virtually and uh, for you attending impersonally. I don't know what the word is for that other than virtually. So we're excited that you're all here this morning as well. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them. Turn with me once again to the Psalms and to the 13th Psalm, to Psalm 13. We're going to continue our study uh, through this series of sermons from Psalms that I have entitled Songs from the Heart. And today we come to a Psalm that is classified specifically as a lament. And it is a lament because it's a song that flows from David's heart during the time when he feels like he's been forgotten. It comes from a time in which he feels that, that maybe God has turned his back on him. Uh, in, in fact, as we're going to read in just a moment, David repeatedly asked the Lord, How long? How long, O oh Lord, will you continue to allow my circumstances to go on as they are? How long, how long will, do I have to continue to languish uh, in, in this pain that I'm going through? How long until you answer my prayer and give me some relief? Have you ever been there? I feel like I've been there sometimes this last week. Um, many of us probably feel that way with regard to this coronavirus. Let's just say it out, out loud. We might as well. We wonder, how long is this going to go on? I mean, how long is it going to be before we can actually make plans that we think that we can stick with because we, we don't think that something's going to change in the future and we can move forward? How long is it until social distancing becomes something that's in our rearview mirror. How long, how long until some sense of normalcy returns to our lives? I, I think probably in the last six months, all of us have asked that question more than once. Here's what I want, want you to know, that the how long questions aren't just relegated to that. There's other how long questions that we ask. Some of us ask it with regard to sickness. How long am I going to have to keep dealing with this? Doctors don't seem to know what to do. We've tried everything. Nothing's working. How long? How long? Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes we ask the question, how long until she and I can get along like we did when we first got married? How, how long, God, until I can have a conversation with my kid and it not end up in an argument? How long am I just going to remain lonely? You know, I don't know what specific how long question you may be dealing with, but I'm old enough and experienced enough to know that the question of how long doesn't always come from the back seat of the car when you're on your way to vacation. We as adults are good at asking the same question, how long? And what I want you to know is that every single one of us asks that question at various pressures and pains as they come into our lives. And, and that's why I see the study of this psalm, of Psalm 13, to be such a, really a game changer for us. I hope it will be. It's a game changer because this psalm starts with David asking those questions. How long, O oh Lord? But let me just give you the, the end. It, it finishes with David singing. A song about his salvation. 
And so, and so that intrigues me. That causes me to stop in my tracks and go, wait a minute, what happened here? He starts with a sigh and he ends with a song. And if that intrigues you as well, then let's go on this journey together this morning and let's study Psalm 13. Listen, listen to what David writes. We'd see there at the very beginning, he says it's to the chief musician, a psalm of David. And he asks these questions. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. From sighing to singing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we, we pray that today you would find that we are open-hearted and open-minded as we read this text that is open before us so that you can speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit coming alive in your word. There are some of us probably in this room this morning who feel dead. And we feel numb. But we pray, we pray that we will encounter the living God this morning through his living word. And that those things which are disturbing us and distressing us and causing us to sigh in our spirits that we would leave this place singing and rejoicing because of you. Change us by the power of your word working through our lives, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen. So this psalm is a, is a fairly brief psalm. It's only six verses long. And it has three movements in it. Each movement is made up of two verses each. And so they flow from one to the next to the next, and that's how we want to look at them this morning as we work our way through it. And, and I've kind of summarized each one of those movements, and the first summary statement that I want to give you really just sort of describes what's taking place in verses 1 and 2. And in verses 1 and 2, what we see, notice the first point on your outline this morning, is that David is having trouble with God's timing. David is having trouble. He's, this is the trouble that David has with God's timing. That's what we see in verses 1 and 2. Now, notice that, that David's trouble is expressed in the four questions that he asks. And each question is, is, begins with how long. And, and the, the fact that he's asking how long tells us that what David is dealing with, the struggle, the trouble, the difficulty that he's having, is some, not something that just came up yesterday. 
This is not something that he was unaware of last week. No, this is a trouble that's been prolonged. This is an extended period of time in which David is going through his difficulty. Now, what could that be? Well, scholars have kind of offered a lot of different options, but many have settled in on the fact that this psalm was very likely written in the time between when David was anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the next king of, of Israel, that he was going to be the one who would lead God's people and the time that he actually assumed the throne. And that period of time was 15 years. There was 15 years between the moment that he was anointed and the moment that he took the throne. And for eight or nine of those years, David ran from King Saul. He was running for his life. And it's easy to understand why. You remember, David was the one who went out and slayed the, the giant, Goliath, the Philistine. And after that took place, his, his uh, popularity in Israel skyrocketed. In fact, all the, the people of Israel sang songs about David. They, they sang about Saul. They said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. Now, that's good if you're David, but if you're Saul, well, Saul then begins to see David as a threat and he begins to, to begin to hate David. He, he, was, he was fearful of what David would do. He was jealous of all of the popularity that David had. And so he began to chase David. And for eight or nine years, David was on the move. He ran for his life. He ran constantly. He was constantly on the move. He was sleeping in forests. He was sleeping in caves. He was sleeping in the deserts. And then he, at one point during that eight or nine year period, he even began to believe in his own heart that going and living in the land of Philistia, the land that was the homeland of the giant that he had slain, that living there was better than living within Israel because at least when he was living in Philistia, Saul couldn't get to him. F.B. Meyer writes about this time, he says, Saul's persecutions of David lasted for eight or nine years and no hope of termination appeared. It was like David was caught in a tangled overgrowth that hid the sun. And David began to despair of ever emerging from it. Let me ask you again, can you identify with that? Have you been tangled up in some things that hid the sun from you for so long that you wondered, am I ever going to get out of this? This is horrible. Am I ever going to see the light if you've ever been there where you didn't know if you could take one more day or one more hour or one more minute of the pain and the pressure that you were experiencing, then you can begin to understand the questions that David asks here. He asks four of them. They reveal really four different pressure points that were coming at David. Notice the first question that he asks. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That question reveals that David felt forgotten. If you've ever felt forgotten, you know exactly what David Jeremiah writes about. He says, we all go through dark stage of our lives feeling that God is either isn't there at all or at the very least, he's forgotten us. We're tempted to think during those times that our problems aren't important to him. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. David's cry is similar to the one if we were to go back and read Psalm 10 verse 1. There he asked this question, why do you stand so far off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble. That actually brings us to the second question that David asks here in Psalm 13. The second question is, how long will you hide your face from me? You see, David not only felt forgotten, he felt forsaken as well. 
maybe you've had this happen to you. You've been in a crowd or you've seen somebody, you've been in a place and you wanted to get there. You saw somebody you know and so you're waving at them and you're going, hey, hey, I'm, I'm over here. Hey, can you? And you know they saw you. You know they heard you. They looked at you and maybe that just happens to me. Maybe that doesn't happen to y'all. I don't know. But you know they saw your face and they heard your voice and they turned anyways away from you. You see, that's what David is saying. It's not that God couldn't hear him. It's that he believed in his heart that God wouldn't hear him and that he'd hidden his face from him. Listen, that's what it feels like to feel forsaken. And David obviously felt that way more than once in his life. In fact, we'll probably come back to this psalm in our study of these songs from the heart when we get to Psalm 22. But listen to how David begins Psalm 22. These are very familiar words because they were also uttered by our Lord when he was on the cross. David begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And then he says in verse 2, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. In the night season, I'm not silent. What's obvious is that there were moments in David's life when he felt forgotten. There were moments that he felt forsaken. But we also recognize that there were moments when he got really frustrated too. Look at the third question. The third question is there in verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? (laughs) having sorrow in my heart daily. You see, David knew what it was like. I can't get an answer from you, so I'm having to counsel myself. And nothing that I'm coming up with is working. I'm trying it all. I'm trying to come up with my own answers, and the only thing I'm ending up with is zeros. I'm ending up worse than where I started. And he's frustrated. He's angry. He's tired of being in the scenario that he's in. But he's also scared. Notice the fourth question. David asks, he says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? He's overwhelmed by his foe. Now, just imagine that you are in David's sandals for just a moment. Imagine that it was you that the prophet Samuel had anointed with the oil. And and imagine that it was you whose destiny was to rule over the people of God as his appointed king. And yet for over a decade... Instead of ruling, you've been running. You've been running for your life from from the one who currently sat on the throne. And now he's about to catch up with you and he's going to kill you. Just imagine how you would have felt under those same circumstances. That's the scenario David finds himself in. And in these first two verses, we recognize that he's having trouble with God's timing. One has put it this way. He's spent a long time in a low condition. And what happens when we get, when we go on in our troubles for longer than we think the mercy of God would allow is that we become frustrated and we become angry and we become become downtrodden in our spirit. God, how can you let me continue on in this scenario? He felt forgotten, forsaken, frustrated, and overwhelmed by his foes and he's not sure that he can take it any longer. That's the first two verses. But then it leads us into the next two verses, verses 3 and 4, where we find this. We find David's desperation for God's deliverance. David's desperation 
for God's deliverance. Now, if the four questions of verses 1 and 2 didn't reveal just how desperate David was, notice, notice that the fears that come uh, uh, into focus in the last half of verse 3 and into verse 4 will add to our understanding. Notice what David says there. He, the first fear is revealed when he, with the word, beginning with the word lest there in the middle of verse 3. He says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And from that, we know what the obvious fear is. He's, he's, he's fearful of dying. He's fearful of death itself. But then in verse 4, notice he says the same thing again. Lest my enemies say that I have prevailed over him. There, David is talking about, he's, he's fearful of being defeated. But then notice the next fear there. David alerts us to the fact that lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved, or, or as the ESV says, when I am shaken, David obviously feels disgrace. So you get those, those three fears that are there. He's fearful of dying. He's fearful of being defeated. He's fearful of being disgraced. But it's the word lest that I actually want to draw your attention to. Lest is the word that starts each one of those phrases. And lest is an important word in this second section of this psalm. In fact, many scholars have pointed out that this, these clauses, all of which begin with the word lest, really point to the motivation of what takes place in the first part of verse 3. You see, I, I skipped over that, but go back and look at the first part of verse 3. There we see David doing what he should be doing. He's praying. He's calling out to God. But it's, it's the reason that he calls out to God that I want to point your attention to. And lest is the reason why. Lest is one of those little small words that actually turns the entire understanding of the second half of this psalm. Lest is like one of those small hinges upon which a big door swings. And here's what I want you to know. It points to motivation. Notice this. David wasn't motivated to pray to God because he was a man of God. Though we know that David was a man after God's own heart. But this second part of, of, of Psalm 13 tells us that David prayed not because of that. David prayed because he was desperate. He had reached the end of his rope. He had gone to the end of the cul-de-sac. There was nowhere else to go to. And he had spent a long time in a low condition. And the trouble that he had with God's timing led him to this desperate place and he was fearful of his reputation, he's fearful of his safety, and he's fearful of his life, and it brought him to his knees. Maybe you are in that place right now. Maybe you've been brought to the dead end. You're in a desperate place. Maybe your circumstances have, have come to you in such a way that you don't know where else to turn or what else there is to do. What I want you to know is that there is absolutely nothing comfortable about being put into a vice that just keeps getting cranked tighter and tighter to where you feel like you're getting crushed under the weight and suffocating under the load. And then for that to just continue to go on and on and on with no end in sight, there is nothing comfortable about that. And you may feel just as David did, has God turned his back on me? If that's where you find yourself right now, I want you to know that you have one of two options in front of you. You can throw your hands up and quit and you can say, I'm done with this. 
I'm done with God. I've, I've, I've done everything I know to do and he's not kept up his end of the bargain and you can just be done with it. You can become angry, rail against him. Or you can do what David did. You can come to him as a child who trusts in the character of his father even though you may not understand all of what you're going through right now or why. You see, we might mistakenly think that God only wants us to really come to him in in prayer when we can make sense of everything, when we can have these long flowing prayers that are very well thought out and reasoned and and we use all the big language that comes in the these and the thous and the therefores and that we've got it all figured out. And God only wants to hear our prayers when it's like that. But I want you to know God wants you to come to him when you're desperate, when you don't have another option God wants to hear from you right then. He wants you to come to him. Why? Because he already knows that. He knows you better than you know yourself. You know, I read a passage this week uh, at J.V. Cheek's funeral that we have here. We had here on Wednesday afternoon. And, and the, one of these verses I found out in the process of making preparations for that funeral that that. One of these verses was JV's favorite verse, and he quoted it all the time. And, and I went back and read it and read it in context of the verse right before it, and I was like, you know, you can't, you, you can't preach this sermon without reading that same passage again. So I'm going to read it again for you now because this is what I think is one of those prayers that ought to just bubble from us on a regular basis, both in the good times and the bad times. Because the psalmist in Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26, he begins by asking a question. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? So the obvious answer to that is no one. I've got no one besides you, God, is what the psalmist is saying. And he says, and there's none on earth that I desire besides you. And then he says this. This was J.V.'s favorite verse. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, I believe it's that realization. I believe it's that understanding that the Lord is the only one to whom you can turn. I believe that's what caused David to pray. And I want you to notice those three prayers that he prays because they're beautiful. They're short. So if you like short prayers, these are for you. He says, consider me. That literally means look at me. Don't turn your back on me anymore. Don't turn away from me. Look at me. Then he says, hear me. Listen listen to me, God. Listen to me. Listen to the prayer that I'm giving to you. And then he says, enlighten my eyes. Now, that doesn't mean what you might initially, what I initially thought it meant. I thought to enlighten my eyes meant God, give me understanding, give me wisdom, give me your perspective on my problems so that I can see things the way you see them. It sounds good, but that's not what that means. When David prays, enlighten me, you could, you could translate it this way. Bring back the sparkle to my eyes. Bring back that, that joy. You, you, you've been around those people before, and, and I have, and I, 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 it, it just always seems to just bring tears to my eyes when they, you know that they're going through a state of depression. You know that they're in a bad spot, and it's just like they're, they've got a dullness. They're there, but they're just going through the motions. 
And you can sense it. You can tell it by looking in their eyes. David obviously had been there and was there. And he's like, I want the sparkle back. I want you to bring the joy of your salvation back to me that I once had. I want you to bring the vitality back to my life that I have known in the past, but now seem to not have in reach. I like what Dale Ralph Davis puts. He says, David asked the Lord to supply him with a fresh strength and energy in the face of the assaults and the trouble he is enduring. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes that's about as simple of a prayer, but about as it seems like something that you could, you want nothing more than that. So in these first two verses, we've seen the problem. David's got trouble with God's timing. And then in verses three and four, we become witnesses to David's prayer. It's a prayer of desperation for God's deliverance. And then that brings us to the final movement of this text. And then we become witness to the praise that David offers. And notice the third point on your outline. It is David's confidence in God's constant love. David's confidence in God's constant love. The first part of verse 5 to me is, is everything kind of hinges on this. This is, this is where it all gets to. Everything that's happened thus far gets to verse 5 and the first part of it. And David says, but, and I want you to know that it's a beautiful word in Scripture because whenever you come across it, it's going to tell you that something is about to take place behind that is different from what took place before. And so it all turns right here. Everything that we've looked at so far is about to change. And when it changes, it makes a drastic impact upon David. Notice verse 5. But I have trusted in your mercy. David's attention up to this point in the text has been on himself. And it's been on his circumstances. And there's no denying that his circumstances were difficult. And there's no denying that he was going through difficult times in his life. But he changes his vantage point and takes his eyes off of his circumstances and places them firmly on God. And he says, I have trusted in your mercy. The word mercy that's translated there is actually the word in Hebrew, hesed. It's sometimes translated as loving kindness. And it is a beautiful word. It's in, the, it's in the 23rd Psalm as well. David writes it, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In other words, the two companions that God sends after David and that he sends after you are goodness and mercy, goodness and hesed. And guess what? They follow you all the days of your life. David says, I remember that. And I remember that's where my faith and my confidence is. And it's based upon who God is. You see, God is revealed to us in Scripture as being in Exodus 34, verse 6. He, th listen to the description of God. He's described as the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That's an awesome way to describe who God is. And look, a God who has that as his nature is going to love in that way. And that's what David is saying. Dale Ralph Davis says this, Hesed, Hesed is love, but it's love that has stickum on it. 
My dad, he's up here, he grew up on the northern side of Gainesville, which is where I grew up as well, but he grew up on the northern part of Gainesville and, and, and right where, near where the Chattahoochee River sort of comes down uh, in the northern part of Hall County. And he lived there. And in his yard as a kid, at the base of a big hill, was this huge rock. And this rock was about the size of a small car. And, and that's where my dad lived growing up, uh, on the home place up there. And, and, and he would tell the stories about how on that rock, he would play cowboys and Indians all day long. His siblings were older than he was, so he played by himself. So he won every game and everything that he did. He was always the winner. But he was playing there, and he said, all of my childhood activities sort of centered around that big rock right there at the base of the hill in the front of the yard of the house where we lived growing up. In the 50s, though, you recall, many of you will, uh, that there was a dam built down here in Buford, and the Chattahoochee River started backing up. And in those lowlands near where the river would come through, they started having flooding that would take place. And that forced my dad and his family to relocate to another part of Northern Hall County where they were moved away from the, from the river. And eventually, Lake Lanier was formed and, and the water backed completely up. And now, if you're driving north on U.S. Highway 129 out of Gainesville going to Cleveland, the last bridge that you cross is named... Is named Bell's Mill Bridge. And when you cross it, you'll cross over right over the top of where my dad grew up. And there's nothing that would ever give you any indication that there was a family who had ever lived there. Except for that rock. That rock is still there. Still there at the base of that hill. Now, this past Friday, I actually was on that bridge They've actually taken the old one down and replaced it with a new one, and they've expanded the lanes, and it's got a higher concrete side. As a matter of fact, it's really, really, really difficult to see that rock when you're going over it. But you want to know something? That rock is still there. After all these years, that rock is still in the same place. And here's what I want you to know. Brothers and sisters, that is just like the steadfast love of God. It does not move. It does not go away. It's still right there. That kind of constant love is the kind of constant love we need to remind ourselves of on a regular basis. It's love that doesn't move. It's not just mere love. It's, it is the kind of love that is loyal. It's not just kindness. It's the kind of love that's dependable. It's the kindness that will always be there. It's, it's not just it's not just affection for you. It is constant, committed affection to you. And even when you find yourself at a dead end in life, when it seems as though God has abandoned you and you're desperate, remember that even though you don't feel it, even though, like that old rock, you can't always see it, you need to remember that God's love is still there. It's dedicated, it's determined, and it is dependable. It is the kind of love that the writer of Lamentations speaks about in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23, where he says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. David reminds himself of that in the first part of verse 5. And for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you, it slides back down to good stuff 
everywhere from there. Because then he says, I'm going to sing of your salvation. I'm I'm going to sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The sadness and the sighing of verses 1 and 2 of this psalm have now been replaced with joy and with singing. And I want you to know that in and of itself ought to get our attention. That ought to make us stop and pivot and look and go, I need to know something more about it. But here's something even cooler about this psalm. You realize nothing about David's circumstances appear to have changed. His sighs and his crying has been changed to a song and the clapping for joy, even though the circumstances that he found himself in were exactly like they were back in verses 1 and 2. By all accounts, he could still be saying, how long, how long, how long? So what's changed? Well, nothing. And yet everything has changed. You see, David's circumstances are the same, but his perspective is different. Because now he has comforted his heart with the knowledge that though nothing has changed about his circumstances, he is also encouraged because he knows nothing has changed about his God. And that God is the same yesterday and today forever and loves him with that kind of love. Here's the thing. David made a choice. He chose to rejoice in the Lord and to sing of his salvation. And I love what David Jeremiah has written. About that. He says the same choice faces you. You can demand all the answers, neatly gift wrapped. You can insist that God quickly resolve every trial and injustice in your life. You can hold out that your life and everything else in the world suddenly become fair and rational. Or you can choose to lift up your eyes to the heavens. And pour out your tears and grief and anger and say in the very midst of them, God, I have no clue what this turmoil is all about and where it is leading. But this is my resolution. I will put my trust in you and I will praise you with all of my heart unconditionally. That's the choice. You can rail and rage against God or you can rest and rejoice in him. You know, there's another psalm, Psalm 40, that I personally believe David had to write with Psalm 13 in mind. The the similarities are just too much for that not to be. But listen to what David wrote in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet on a rock, and he makes my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Here's what I want you to know. Psalm 13 and Psalm 40 both tell us that David moved from sighing to singing, and it's that that leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. When God delays and you feel abandoned, pour out your heart to him. Trust in his unfailing love and allow your troubled side to turn to a thankful song. Now listen, that's, that's, 
That's a lot easier said than done. And I stand before you as one who knows just how hard it is to do that. And yet, and yet, I know that there is no other answer. There's not a magic wand that can be waved. There is, there is this, that we live in a fallen world, in a broken world. We ourselves are broken. <laughs> and the reality of that means that there are going to be times when we find ourselves in the midst of things that we would much rather God come in and swoop in and take us out of and, and change our circumstances and, and bring us relief and, and remove the, the problem that we're facing. And yet God delays. And if our relationship with Him is based upon Him doing exactly what we think needs to be done, then we will end up being disappointed. But He's a God that's not there to disappoint us. He's a God that the Scriptures tell us sent His one and only begotten Son into this world to fix that which has been broken. To come and to be the only answer to the problem that we face. And He did that by taking upon himself the guilt of our sin. He himself, who was himself not guilty. But upon him, all of our sin was laid. And the scriptures tell us that by his stripes, we are healed. So look, when you're there, and many of you may be there right now, and you have those questions, how long, O oh Lord? Understand that Christ has been given to you as the answer. And the scriptures call us to turn our faces away from our circumstances, not to diminish them, not to say that they don't exist, not to say that they're things that we just ignore. No, but we turn our face to Christ who is there to reveal to us the true and the unfathomable constant love of God. And that is why I believe that Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter Chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, that those who turn to Christ and place their faith in Him will be giving, given a living hope. He says it is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Then he says this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, because Jesus Christ has come, every sigh that we will ever have will one day, one day, one day be turned into a song. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God and it is for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us like you do. Thank you that your love has stick them on it. 
and it sticks with us. Even in our struggles and our trials and our troubles. Father, I know that in a room this size and with whoever is watching online, that there are so many who are struggling through so many things, many of which I have no idea. I would have no idea of what to say. Which is why I only know one thing. And that's to point them to Christ. The one who has been sent as our only hope. Our only hope for salvation and for life eternal, but our hope in this life too. So Father, I know that there are those in this room this morning who desperately want their sighs to be turned to song. They want their cries to be turned into clapping for joy. And I pray that they would be able to experience that today. Lord, I ask that you remove the circumstances that are in their lives. Sometimes that is how you go about it. You answer the prayers. You remove us from our, the, the, the problems that we're facing. But Lord, sometimes you don't. And I pray that when that happens, that we will remember who you are, that we belong to you, and that we can trust you. It's also my prayer today, Lord, that if there's someone who is struggling and going through things and they don't have the hope that we've talked about this morning because they've never placed their faith in you, that this would be the day that they would come to realize that they cannot trust in themselves, they cannot trust in friends and family to do for them only what you can do. And so they would abandon their pursuit of that and instead they would humble themselves before you and confess you as Lord. I pray that that would occur, not simply for their good, though I do pray for their good, but I pray for your glory to be made known, that many would come to know you as a result of what they see happening. Father, we thank you for loving us, and we thank you for this time that you've given us this day to study your word. In Christ's holy name, amen.